0: Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and Today, we're talking to the visionary business mentor and entrepreneur, Tony Watley. Tony's also a best-selling author, podcast host, and speaker. He's best known as co-founder of LS1 Tech, an online automotive community that grew into the largest of its kind. Its website grew to over 300,000 registered members and was later sold for millions in only five years. And that was just his part-time business. He teaches others how to start, grow, and sell their business within his podcast and consulting brand, 365 Driven. Right now, we get to hear Tony explain how anyone can pivot and how success, no matter what your current circumstance. He tells why it's important to him to give back and teaches others. He's a powerful, moving presence who can transform your day and possibly your life. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Tony Watley.
1: Hey, first of all, I love the name of your show, 52 Weeks of Hope, and that's a, that's a really touching thing, and I'm really glad that we got to connect, Lauren. I can't wait to share value to your audience.
0: Thank you. I really loved your response that that was what you wanted to do, and I appreciate that. Now, I know you didn't start at the top. You come from a more of a lower class, lower middle class, I should say, uh, background. You're not quiet about that. Do you think that's what drives you today? It's kind of a nurture nature question, I suppose, now that I'm actually asking it out loud. Do you think that's what drives you? Do you think that, what do you think it is that gives you that sense to just, I want more and, and, we'll get to the pivot to giving back of whether that was taught to you or cause I, I it's, it's what I'm doing here. And it was not taught to me. I've learned it. So it's a lot of questions wrapped up in there. So.
1: I think for me, yeah, growing up lower middle-class had two blue-collar parents. My mom was a cafeteria worker in high schools and my dad worked construction after he got out of the military. And they, they, I was the first one in my family on both sides, even extended family to go to college. And I paid for that myself, engineering school, went to the University of Houston. And it took me seven years because like my dad, I worked construction for a full-time job and I would go to school at night and I'd wait tables on the the weekend evenings just to really try to make the, the college bills. And I, for entrepreneurship is as cool of a word as it is nowadays. For me, it was just a way to make money because even as a kid, I was the one that was selling candy and or, or going to push the lawnmower around different neighbors' yards or walk dogs or wash cars, doing all these things just so I could buy my video games and my skateboards and my BMX bicycles of that era. And it's just understanding that is that that was just a means to get the things that I wanted to have in life is the way I think about that. So we call it entrepreneurship now, but it's I didn't know what that was. It was just a way to do things. So I've always been driven. I've always been willing to go do things that most people weren't willing to do to get the things that I wanted to achieve. And so I remember even like going back to those early childhood years. I, my friends would ride by a house that I'm mowing the yard of, like on the other side of the neighborhood. And they would laugh at me because like, what are you doing, Tony? You're mowing someone else's yard. Like they couldn't even understand the concept of that. And I never had any shame about that, I guess, because I saw the struggle that my parents went through and how hard we worked to, to get the things we had. And the first three houses I lived in were fixer uppers where they would literally go buy the crappiest house in a neighborhood like we would call us flip houses today Yeah, because they just wanted to be in a good school system. You know, my my sister and I, we went to Friendswood ISD. It's one of the top-rated schools in Texas, and my parents couldn't really afford to live in that community, but we could live there by buying the crappiest house in the crappiest neighborhood, fixing it up while we lived there, and it taught me the value of having appreciation for the things that you do have rather than comparing what other people have. I knew that we were surrounded by wealthy people in different areas of town and had friends like that, but we always had pride in what we had, and eventually our crappiest house in the neighborhood would be the nicest house or nicest looking house because my mom has a green thumb and she loves gardening and my dad and I were really good at with our hands and building things and painting things and making things look brand new again and so we have this restorative type mentality of fixing things and even my first car like I couldn't afford a car I was working at McDonald's and still pushing the lawnmower and doing things and I had to restore that entire car with my dad so I bought it when I was 15 working McDonald's and we worked on that car every single night, you know, I got home from football practice and when I was out there sanding and wrenching and building engines and built the entire car. So we've always been restoring things and seeing the value and the things that didn't currently exist. Right? And I see that in people as well. I kind of adopted that the entire thing. I can see the potential in other people that they don't necessarily see for themselves. And for a lot of years, Lauren, a lot of years, I thought about how do I help people achieve or realize the potential that they have? And, You know, as I started to get more wisdom and I started to be let down or disappointed by people who didn't step up to the challenge or things I saw for them, I realized probably my late 30s, 40s range that not everybody's going to go on that journey. Even if you see it for them, and as heartbreaking as that sounds, they're not going to go on that journey with you and they're not going to improve. And you'll see these people that cross your path five years down the road and they're in the exact same situation. They're still complaining about life, they're still in the complacency zone. the rut and they can't ever get out of it. And and you gave them solid advice five years ago that they should have done and they didn't do any of it. So I quit taking that personal and, in more recent years, I had to be more focused on serving the people that do raise their hand and say, Hey, I want to go along this journey. And I I know that I'm in this situation. I need to make some real changes. And those are the people I'm meant to serve. And as much as we would love to save every puppy in the dog pound because they're so cute and snuggly and want to get puppy kisses or cute, we just can't really reality is we can't and i just kind of think about that nowadays
0: isn't it interesting and when i was growing up uh, you babysit as much as you can to make the money but that's more hidden than the kid out there mowing the lawn and all of that yeah and you can tell all those kids now like look at me today
1: <laughs> yeah, <they're laughs> Who, driven, who's laughing now <laughs> driven but for a, for a reason for most of the time and i and I'll always try to be an overachiever and and my mom is Japanese and she was very disciplinarian about education. And my dad, being a former Marine gunny sergeant, was Ooh. very disciplinarian about everything else. So I had two very disciplined parents that taught me the just good habits and focus. And, you know, I'll give you an example of a, a Japanese, what they call a dragon lady mom. Like our house is always spotless. Again. <laughs> and when it came to education, you got to realize that from her era, That women in Japan were plucked out of junior high after they finished junior high to go work in the farms. So she valued education because she never got to have education because boys got to go to high school and university, but women got junior high level and they got work in the farms. And so when she came to the United States, she realized like, hey, our kids are going to go have some good education. So that's why they were willing to do those sacrifices. And I did not miss a single day of school from kindergarten all the way through graduation. So I had 13 years of of uh, perfect attendance, and I'll tell you, my mom saves all those things, and she still has a stack of those things. I was just laugh when I see it, but it made me show up every day. You know, there was times I resented that, but as an adult, I realized
0: you're the Cal Ripken Jr. of like, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, yeah. at 365 driven. My brand, go figure, right?
0: Yeah, right. That's it. That, that is it. Of course, it makes sense. I was going to ask you what what the 365 driven is, and it's showing up every day. I love that. So. What is it that has made you want to just give back with your brand now?
1: I was in a major car accident. I raced cars. You know, I built some very successful business in the automotive performance arena. And as a result, I created myself a a media type VIP role where I got to do photo shoots and write for the automotive magazines and test cars, driving around the racetrack or the quarter mile and got really good at driving and setting records for certain types of vehicles. And, you know, in 2015 and December, 2015, I was actually racing a car for trying to set a record. You know, it was a, it was a shop owned car and I had a lot of seat time in a similar car that I own. And you know, they threw me the keys and tried to go get the best number out of it for the night to, to, you know, basically get some PR for it and everything was going well. And it was a thousand horsepower car, twin turbo Dodge Viper and a you know, top of third gear, something in the rear suspension broke which on that, that particular car will make the rear wheel steer for you. And I didn't know what it would happen. The car was kind of getting out of line a little bit, but I've been there before and I thought I could save it. And I was a little bit of fearful, a little bit of an adrenaline, because I am an adrenaline junkie, kind of a stuntman type personality. And I, and, I, and I know that I've always been like that, but as the car started to graze the right side wall going down, that fear initially I had was replaced by disappointment because I'd let myself down and I damaged a car that I was trusted with. And, I was already thinking in my mind, I'm like, I need to help pay, pay for this damage, even though like things happen on a racetrack, right? I was still yeah. feeling guilty and a little bit of anger at myself or letting myself down. And so I, I decided, okay, well, that's, well, that's the worst of it. Not so bad. You know, it's grazed down the side of the car. And as I s- try to slow down and come off of that wall, what happened is that right rear wheel kicked out again. And now the car is going hard left and I'm steering straight, but the car is going hard left because it's steering for me. And now I'm looking at the concrete wall in the other lane at 130 miles per hour, approaching concrete barriers, thinking to myself in that moment, well, here I go. And I thought I was really going to die in that moment. And I could hear the engine noise and the tires sliding. And I just remember being in that moment. And if it was only a split second because the car is traveling at such a rate of speed, but it felt like an eternity before I hit that wall. And the weirdest thing that I realized in that moment was peacefulness. I was just, I felt warm. And I felt wow. peace and I didn't feel scared and I, and I had no fear. And I didn't have like my life flash before my eyes or any of that. I just felt peacefulness. I was kind of like a t- typical, like a Jesus take the wheel moment. Cause I was literally going straight, but the car was going left. And, and of course I survived the impact and the car was destroyed. And, and I just remember like, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. Because of racing, we always know that it's not the impact that usually kills people. It's the fire because the fluids from the engine and the transmission all that spills out and it's highly flammable and there's sparks and things go up in a flame and, and i was in my protective gear but you have to be awake to get out of the car so i didn't know if i was injured or not and it's dark and the lights are flashing the cabin's filled with powdery smoke from the airbags deploying and the noise from the car sliding 130 miles per hour and i'm just thinking stay awake stay awake stay awake and i was really calm and of course i get out and i didn't feel like i had any major injuries i could hear my friends sprinting up the track i could hear the ambulance coming from the other than the track and She put me in the back of the ambulance and she took my shirt off and she's looking around and asking me questions to see if I had a concussion. And, and after she's done inspecting me, she's like, can I tell you something that that's really profound? And I was like, Oh crap, what is she going to tell me? Is I I have like a rib sticking out of my back? Or, you know, what, what is she going to scare me now? And she just, people crash out here every night. You were in a major accident. And she said, you're remarkably calm. For someone who's just gone through that you don't have the adrenaline shakes your heart rate is calm you're answering all the questions with clarity and and then I was I was I was calm
0: like I, you remember this and you're telling me this story yeah
1: I was still in that peaceful moment and I was calm and I and people ask me what was going through my head and it took me several months of understanding this but what was going through my head in that moment and why I was so calm is I could still see the wreckage when I mean, we're looking in the back of the ambulance the car is still right there and i, I was just thinking myself why am i still here and then that leads to the next question of what if i would have died tonight and then the next question from that series would have been how would i have been remembered and i started thinking about the people that i'd lost in in recent years maybe from the same scene or the same group of type of people and it was always so-and-so was a nice guy and so-and-so was a successful businessman. So-and-so had some cool cars. And I said, yeah, that's probably how I'd be remembered. And, you know, a rich guy with a bunch of cool cars. That was just nice. Yeah, cool. Is that, a, is that good enough, Tony? Is that really good enough to be remembered? And it, honestly, honestly those are other than being nice, which I think everybody should be nice. It, it was kind of superficial, you know, like I didn't want to be remembered as rich guy with cool cars gone too soon. And that really lit a fire under me. And I, and I guess I was around forty three at the time around that age. And so the next question that follows that series is am I making enough impact? Am I doing enough to create a legacy to leave impact? And the answer was no. And for years, since starting and selling that company for millions of dollars in 2007, I'd been helping my friends and my inner circle and some of the colleagues I worked with build businesses that have exceeded the success of my own seven and eight and nine figure businesses. I helped 12 people that were former staff of mine become millionaires. And they were always telling me, Tony, you should be doing this full time. You should be teaching people this. You have a real knack for it. And I've always been the teacher type, but I, I, I try to avoid the teacher salary by going engineering. And I knew that I'm a teacher. I'm a mentor. I go to these corporate level jobs and I was always coaching people. Well, it was my job. I just do that. And I, I didn't put my words out there, Lauren, because I was afraid of potential critics and I had a very comfortable life and I had a family and I've got a corporate career that's paying me really well. And I've got these businesses that I'm running. And, yeah, and what
0: will people think? Yeah. 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 Right.
1: All that stuff. I and,
0: think everyone has that. Yeah.
1: I just had to make a choice. You know, I just had to make a choice. And after that accident, I realized like my, I'm not meant to be here in this corporate life chasing executive path and being promoted to vice president when I'm 60 years old and an attaboy kind of on the way out because that's what they do. Like, you work for these Fortune yeah, yeah. 100 companies, it's always promoted right before you retire, kind of a send off prize. And, and I'm, I'm in my 40s, like I got 20 more years of sitting and waiting my turn and for what? A watch. Money. A watch. <laughs> I, I looked at my supervisor and, and their supervisor. And I was like, and this has been my entire career. I was like, I already have a better lifestyle than all these people. So why am I working so hard to try to get something from somebody that doesn't even have what I want? They can't even give me what I want. I've already got those kind of things. So why am I working so hard to be in corporate, to do things for companies that don't really care about you because they lay you off when there's a downturn and, and answer for me, it goes back to the parenting thing. You know, the biggest fear that my parents had was not having a steady job. You know, my dad worked construction. And I remember when he would get laid off from his, his temporary roles and he'd come home just, just angry and just, you had to avoid dad and he had to calm down for dinner. And how,
0: how did you get that? Now, how did you get that? That is really key.
1: Did you go to therapy? Did you
0: journal? Like how, how did you see that that was his I mean, that's something you grew up with.
1: I, I was always emotionally aware of other okay. things going on, and and even as a kid, I decided I would see my dad yell at the windshield and road rage, and he would, you know, he get angry about things and I'd lose his temper, and and I would always just watch because that's what kids do. But I would always think about myself as, do, do I is that what it takes to be a man? Is that really what it takes to be a man? And I would assess that and go. Is that really what I want to be as a man when I become a man? Is that what I want to do? And some of the things, many of the things he did well. And I was like, okay, yes, 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 yes. Some of those things, losing self-control and anger and road rage. And I don't do that. I've made a a mental note back then because I get it. I have a lot of EQ and IQ. I can understand emotions and and analytical as get. So I'm a very creative engineer, which is strange. I'm artistic and analytical at the same time, but. I just decided I didn't want to be like that. And I started to craft who I wanted to become even as the early, early age.
0: Okay. I mean, a lot of people, I, you know, it takes a long time to say, oh, this is why I'm afraid to take the leap because my parents were always th- scared that they'd get laid off and nine to five is important to them. And anyway, and they instilled that in me without me even knowing that this is my button. And so anyway, it's
1: key, you know, even after you know, making millions and selling a company for millions. My mom would always, to this day, I mean, that was over 10 years ago. I did the first company <laughs> to this day. She'll still, you know, we'll go visit her, you know, once a month. And Hey, Tony, are you still looking for a job Are or that degree? Because like the biggest fear for her is not having a steady job. And the biggest thing for her is like, why did you waste that money on that degree, if you're not going to use it? And it's just, it's got dust on it. It looks good on the wall. It was an experience. I'm an engineer, mechanical, and, but you got to realize that we evolve as people and it's okay. You can reset and do things differently in your life. And most people are really, unfortunately, unwilling to evolve. And they, they hold on to old status, old persona, old reputations, old circles of friends that don't really serve them anymore, you know, because they're so afraid of being outcast from the pack and not realizing that there's bright, new, shiny, awesome, better packs to go hang out and run in. You just got to be willing to go find those things.
0: Oh, yeah, I, I definitely. And my mom did not like me going to law school. You want to be a lawyer? You want to be one of them? <laughs> she was so horrified, which I guess everyone's always like.
1: Presuppositions, like when we hear titles, right? That's one of the things I always tell people. Is like, don't introduce people by what you do for your living. Oh,
0: God, no. We are not what
1: our job titles are. and that's what, course, A lot of people think that their job title defines who they are. Right, I've converted lawyers into doing different things because they realize that they were living out their parents' dream for them to be a lawyer, and they got into their mid-thirties and they're unhappy with life, and they're going through this day-by-day routine, and they don't understand why they're happy. It's like, well, did you ever want to be a lawyer? And they're like, no, that was my dad. And so they're living their their middle life, trying to please their parents, and and there's a lot of people like this. You know, it's unfortunate.
0: Now I've always loved, loved, loved my law practice. I'm of service in my, I'm of service. People are always shocked, but I love what I do. I help people. It fills me up, but during COVID and everyone's gotten very mean and it just has not filled me up. So I get to do other things. So yeah, it's, it's the beauty of our life. We get to do what we want to do if you're willing to do the work. Yeah. So that's
1: I'm evolving. I've done it a couple of times in my life and you know, there's, even when I left the industry you know, 20 something years, high level, making multiple six figures, you know, about to get on the, I was reporting to VP. So I was already on that path. And, you know, when I left a lot of the people in the industry that had known me for those long years would be like, you're going to go do what? I said, yeah, I'm done with this industry because it doesn't take care of the people that take care of it. Whenever there's a downturn, they, they lay us off. And as you start to get into your forties and you're highly compensated, there's actually just fewer roles for you to see it in. So if you get laid off at my age, with my experience level and that income level, it's gonna be like six to eight months before another role kind of opens up. And I started to be on the chopping block more the older I got. And I was like, I don't like being in this position. I, I actually had to start thinking about people to fire myself that cost less to the company just so they can keep the seat warm, hoping that there's gonna be an industry downturn that was gonna hire me back whenever it came back around. It's like, I don't like being in this position anymore. It was really easy to bounce when you're in your 20s and your 30s because you were undervalued and underpaid. So there's a lot of those roles. Mm-hmm. But as you start to climb, ageism is a real thing. HR, you'll never see that in there. But no, the I, I've had to be I, in.
0: It's yeah. the kind of law I practice. I'm, I'm so well aware. <laughs> I represent employees who are wrongfully terminated and discriminated against. And yeah, so I, I see it all the time. What do you think is, uh, what's the challenge you're most proud of overcoming and how'd you do it?
1: I'd say the hardest decision i've ever had in my life was leaving a toxic relationship with my son's mother and that occurred in 99 2000 he was born in 2000 january and it was a relationship that we were never meant to be together we were partying together and obviously it was an unplanned pregnancy but we try to make things work we try to do the honorable thing we moved in together even though we had two apartments and we couldn't get out of one of the leases we just basically had to pay two notes and there was an industry downturn in 99 and I ended up unemployed and we had to drive all around Texas. So I had a pregnant girlfriend driving around Texas looking for jobs. And, and I was willing to relocate to go do those kind of things. And we were living off of my credit card and I went $40,000 in debt. And when the market finally just started to turn around again, I got an entry level engineering job because I was only 29 at the time. And it was making half the pay that my previous engineering job was, which was probably like 50 grand at that point. And so I wasn't enough to pay the bills again. And I was still in debt and I had to go wait tables and I had to be a mechanic on Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings at a local shop. So I was working three jobs. I was depressed because we were not in a good relationship. She was an alcoholic and very verbally abusive. And I didn't grow up in a household mm-hmm. like that. And she would laugh at the things I was trying to dream about. And I remember when I was building the website that I was telling you about, she would say things like, that's a stupid idea. And men talking about cars on the internet is dumb and you're wasting your time. And so you're living, you're sleeping in a bed with somebody just is the worst supporter ever. And like just trying to minimize you and like verbally abusive and, you know, she would drink and just be like the mean drunk. And I, and I didn't like that at all. And so the hardest decision I ever had to make was, was leaving that relationship. And my son was one year old at the time. And my biggest fear was who was going to be the father figure in my son's life because I didn't trust her character. And that was the biggest fear that kept me in that relationship probably a year too long, to be honest, but it was the hardest decision, but also the best decision I ever made because I started that company that year when I left and that's what grew to millions of dollars. So all that, that, that waste of time stuff did really well. And you know, I met my wife you know, a couple of years later and we've been together 17 years. So I found the right woman for what we do and she supports everything I do. And you know I didn't have money when we met, I was still building that company and She's always seen that I put in the work. And I think a lot of times spouses, especially you know, I deal with a lot of men, a lot of men are in my group and Hey, my wife doesn't you know, believe in me. And they, they have this question that keeps coming up. Like so-and-so doesn't believe in me. How do I get her to believe in me? And you know, they, they don't want to invest in this coaching or they don't want to buy this thing because they, they think it's a waste of money. I was like, well, you got to ask yourself one thing, whether you're a woman or a man listening to this show is this, have you had a history of results? Have you had a history of results? Because if you have called your shot and you have put in the work and you have gotten results, they're going to start believing in you. And a lot of times people want the belief before they demonstrate that they have the results. So if you want people to believe in you, go do the work, get the results. They're going to start to believe in you and they're going to start to get the momentum and you're going to be able to do more and more and more and more. And nowadays when I say, hey, hey, honey, I am I don't want to go back to oil and gas. And I know that was a lot of income coming in. And she said, okay. She goes, I believe in you. I know you'll do something better. See?
0: Yeah. Leaving a toxic relationship, uh, I think most people have those kinds of stories, and that, that is tough when there's a, a little boy there. So, and so he's 21.
1: He's 21, and oh. we've got a great relationship. I became the best weekend dad ever. I mean, he lived with us for about a year when he was in his teens, when he was going through those teenage Challenging years. I think his mom kind of said, "Hey, she's too challenging for me at this point." But we we kind of got him through that, and he didn't like our level of discipline because he got away with a lot more living at mom's house. And after a year, he moved back with her. But you know, when he turned eighteen, the the best thing about this is when he turned eighteen and and became an adult. He and I were driving to a car show one day, and he looked over and he goes, "Dad," he goes, "I think my life would have been a lot better, and I'm in a better position if I lived with you." And I said. I have no doubt in my mind because we have a better school system here and, you know, and, and you would have learned a lot more work ethic and, and just been driven and you would have had more discipline. And he goes, I get that now because I, I was always watching. He goes, but I, so he got to see both sides of it. Yeah. He had to yeah. Learn from watching both of us.
0: Yeah. No, that, that's so great. Is your wife involved in the 365 get, uh, driven in all of the giving back that you're doing now?
1: Absolutely. We she's she's a realtor, and I'm a partner in her real estate company, and she's a partner in the 365 Driven. So she's one of the co-leaders of our group. And you know, people always like when she joins our calls and things like that. And, and she does respond to everything. And she's our event coordinator too. I happened to marry someone that was actually a, a, a Marriott.
0: Oh, that's company. great. Oh my gosh, that's great. We,
1: <laughs> we would have events. Like, we never thought we would have events, and here we are doing events. And it only takes twenty years, right?
0: Yeah that 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 is fabulous. Now the four cornerstones you have written are wealth, health, mindset and relationships. Do you rank those four as in as far as what's the most important and are those four for success in a business or how does that work?
1: You know I've never been asked that question so I'll give you kudos on that one because yeah those are the four wealth, health, mindset, relationships. And no, I've never ranked them. I guess if I, if I've done it, maybe I've done unintentionally, but I would say that health is the first that's most important. I think I'm 48 and I'm physically fit and I'm the strongest I've ever been in my entire life. It's because after I turned 40, I realized I'd fallen off the wagon. You know, I sold my company at 34, became multimillionaire and kind of got lazy, you know, and, and, I was hanging around with people who would you know validate my laziness and you know middle age thing and oh we're not we're not as young as we used to be we don't heal like we used to and man remember the good old days like the whole like uncle rico i used to throw in a quarter mile over a mountain type scenarios and and when you hang around with people like that that don't really push themselves to do more or improve it just kind of validates your existence and at 40 that's a very milestone age for all of us and i said you know what i'm looking in the mirror and i feel like younger than i look we all feel younger than we look mirror. And I, and I and i said i've always been an athlete and i've always taken care of myself but now i'm looking at a dude with a, with a belly and i got man boobs and you know i, I felt like i would get winded i remember being late for a meeting at a corporate consulting gig and I, instead of taking the elevator i took the escalator because it's like a two-story escalator one of those long escalators and i didn't want to wait in line for the elevator so i just started walking up this moving escalator and i got to the top of it and i was huffing and puffing I was walking up a moving escalator It made me winded and it was only two floors. And I remember that moment thinking, first of all, like I hope I'm not sweating through my dress shirt and maybe <laughs> I, mean, I need a blazer to hide the armpit. But the, the second question was like, what the hell, Tony? Like you just walked up a moving staircase and you're winded. Like this is weak as hell. And so at 40, I was like, Nope, not going to do that anymore. And, and it sucked really going back to the gym. The first two months, it always sucks. It always sucks. But I've been really disciplined for the last eight years and you know, people see me now and they're like, Oh man, you're in good shape. It's like, yeah, it's eight years to get to there. i just show up every day. And you know, so. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It's stuff.
0: Have you, do you have a message of hope that you would want to give?
1: I, I can't really think of one, to be honest, you know, it's I mean, okay. it's not the answer, but I don't, I don't really have a, a message of hope because I think of hope in lines with word motivation. I find that motivation is optional for successful people. I think a lot of times people are always seeking motivation, or they think, well, I don't feel like it, you know, and, and they don't do it. They don't do anything. They just don't feel like it. And every successful person I've ever met, executes at a high level, even when they don't feel like it, especially when they don't feel like it, because they want the results. So instead of looking for motivation, start focusing on results. Like example, like the gym thing. Half the time, legit, half the time, I don't feel like going to the gym. I just don't. I actually want to kick, you know, I'd rather go hang out in a clubhouse with you, Lauren, and not like hang out with my friends and and do things or or just do something else. But then I always look back at the results and I go, okay. I started working out at age fifteen and not once in my entire life working out have i ever left the gym regretting having gone never once and that's thousands and thousands of visits and i've never regretted one time of leaving even when i got injured i didn't regret you know uh, leaving the gym but i i don't want to go i'd rather just go take a nap or just do something else to distract me no i think about i've never left having regret therefore if i go i'll be in a different mental and physical state and i'll be Glad that I went because I'll feel like I achieved something for the day and I got some results from that. So, if you can apply that same principle to your life, whether it's business or, or writing a book or launching a podcast or any of those things, understand that focus on the results. And when you tell yourself, oh, I don't feel like it, like suck it up. Like, how bad do you want it? Most people are, will tell you, they'll tell you what they want, but their actions speak otherwise, you know? And, and you'd rather just go out there and do the work and not speak at all. Just go get the results. That's what you got to be focused on.
0: So what do you do when you're around any naysayers or anything like that? Like, why are you writing a book, Tony? You've already got everything. Why would you write a book? Do you just like keep away from that? Do you just ignore them? Do you just say, oh, well, I'll just keep going? What do you do?
1: I think that you will have naysayers, haters, and critics in your life. And there's three. Those are, there's a distinction between those three. There are, a lot of people group them up because they think it's negative or pessimistic, but Naysayers, Haters, and Critics are three different groups. So the haters are obvious. They're the ones that yeah. talk trash or keyboard warrior. Or they, they would never buy anything or refer anything to you or yeah. they're not there to support you. They, they're, it's a reflection of their darkness that you're highlighting because you're starting to glow bright and you're illuminating the negative in them and it's making them uncomfortable. So they'd rather try to ask you to dim your shine to make themselves feel comfortable again because they know deep down in their heart they could do what you're doing, but they don't have the courage to do that. So they don't like to see what you're doing. So that's a hater, a critic is someone who just disagrees with you or disagrees with your your premise or disagrees with your perspectives, and generally they're respectful, but they'll give you constructive feedback, and maybe you should listen to some of those kind of comments, and that's fine. You may gain some new perspectives, which we should always be open to. And then there's the naysayers, which are actually the da- most dangerous, but the most loving people. Okay, these are your parents, your siblings, your coworkers, your group of friends, and they're naysayers. Because they're telling you stuff, they're giving you advice because everybody's got two cents. Honestly, we should be giving refunds a lot of times, but everybody's got two cents to give you about everything. The naysayers are the people that will give you advice based on their own level of risk tolerance and their own level of fear and their own level of expertise or experience. So you got to take it out of context with, they give you the advice, ask yourself, have they done what I want to achieve? Or have they at least attempted and failed what I want to achieve? Those are indicators that you want to have some good advice from. Is their risk tolerance the same as mine? Are they willing to go, you know, drive a car 200 miles per hour and, and light themselves on fire and do some crazy stuntman shit, or are they the people that would hide from every single opportunity to do everything in their life? Like, what's their risk tolerance? What's their history? Right? What are the results they've had? And so you just smile and take their advice and go, Hey, thank you so much. And then just delete it. Yeah. Right? Okay. It, unless it applies to what you're actually doing, because nobody's going to see your dream like you do. And if you waste a lot of time out there trying to get external validation for your dreams, because we, we see this in clubhouse, like people are like, Oh, how do you how do you get yourself out of feeling you know, depressed or feeling like you're not motivated or your mom or dad or your friends don't believe in what you're saying, like, to me, just go do it anyways, because everybody will think you're a delusional or a dreamer until you make it come true. Right. Think about like Elon Musk, you know, he, he came on a clubhouse last week. Think about this guy. Imagine 20 years ago, if he would have said, you know, Hey, you know what? I'm going to build rocket ships that go to outer space. And when they come back to the earth, they're going to land on a floating barge, just a hundred you know, foot barge, You're just going to like, like backwards rocket and land on a barge. People would have thought he was crazy. Like, are you delusional? Are you cre- going to build reusable rockets that can come back and land on their own on a floating barge in the middle of the ocean? What? This doesn't even make sense, dude. Then that delusion becomes reality. And now it's real. See, so it's got to think about it. people that changed the world. Sometimes people labeled them crazy or delusional and things like that, but then it came true. So nobody will ever believe in your big story and your dreams but you. And if you don't believe in it, then you probably aren't going to pursue it. But if you do believe in it, you've got to pursue with it with all your might, regardless of what these naysayers, haters, and critics say.
0: Absolutely, and uh, you've got. The, I think it was part of your dedication in your book that dreams do come true, but only by taking action. Uh, which I think I'm paraphrasing what you just said, and I I have a way I always I heard this a long time ago, and it, you know things resonate when they resonate. Or, uh, that god doesn't drive parked cars you can't sit around in a corner someplace and say please give me this that you you have to take the action Absolutely. and then and then you can stay open to miracles can happen anywhere anything can happen if you're doing the work and we talk about
1: uh, the law of attraction but if you look at the word attraction what word is inside attraction action <laughs> <laughs> so it's the law of attraction Shin.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Anybody listening has to look at Tony's book recommendations. They are fabulous. Your list of books is is fabulous. So I, I will just say that we'll have a bunch of links to different for, of course, your book and your programs and everything, but I will also include a link to your books because it's such a great list. Do you have a a why or a purpose or something that everyone that it seems trendy to me these days because everyone's like what's your why what's your why when i work out what's your why and uh, (laughs) when i'm spinning or whatever it is so i will ask you that question what's your why
1: i think i think that question you know purpose and why and these meaning of life type questions i want listeners to have compassion and grace for themselves if they don't have the answer to this okay first of all don't beat yourself up when you hear people having these conversations and realize that you will have a different purpose in different phases of your life. So I can't even think about like, let's go back. Let's say when I was in my teenager years, my purpose was probably trying to fit in, look cool, and maybe get a pretty girlfriend, right? That's what I was thinking about playing sports and maybe getting a girlfriend. And when I was in my 20s, is more focused on education and trying to gain some maybe more responsibilities or authority type roles, junior level authority roles and trying to prove myself. And in that regard, in my thirties, I was more in execution phase and trying to focus on how can I stack money and how can I not be broke all the time? And how can I do things to get better? And what are the new sets I can learn and monetize and learn about business and becoming a stronger leader? And what are the sacrifices I could be willing to make to go make a lot of money? So I was really focused on that. And in my forties, especially after an accident is that I was more focused on legacy and how much time is fleeting And that. I look in the mirror and I see a, you know, 48 year old man, but I still feel like I'm in my twenties mentally. And I think about, man, time has gone by. My son's 21. And I still remember the bundle of blankets screaming with an unhinged jaw, looking at me going, Oh my God, I got to feed this thing for the rest of my life. I remember like that was yesterday, you know, it was 21 years ago. And so time is going by and there's a, my theory on why we get older and we think time moves faster is because it's based on our perception of our life and this is good some mind-blowing stuff here i like to to talk about because think about when you're when you're really young like when you're six seven eight years old remember how the summer vacations felt like an eternity Like you get off from school and it's like three months like oh my gosh this is super long and you know, I can't wait to go back to school, and you go back, and it's only been three months, but you feel like you know everybody's gotten an inch taller because they did, and you feel like you missed all your friends, and it just felt like an eternity. And even when you're like in your twenties, like you maybe you're in college, and you go on spring break that week just felt like a really long week, and you're like, oh my god, it was the coolest week ever. And and it's here's the thing about this: when you're young, three months is a very very big fractional portion of your right. entire life. Okay. So when you're only six years old, three months is a very big chunk of that. So your perspective is based on your entire life, your perspective, the, the amount of time in your memory that you're living, the memories you've created. So when you're 40s, now three months is a very small sliver of your life. So you're comparing that time, which is the same. Three months when you are a kid is the exact same time as three months is when you're an adult. But it's a small sliver of a, a snapshot of your entire 40 years so it seems like it goes faster. Now imagine when you're in your fifties and your' 60s and, and I'll tell you my grandmother, she's 95 right now. And she was the very first interview I ever did before I launched my podcast. I wanted to interview somebody. She was, she was turning 92 or 93 at the time. I think 92, it was her birthday. I set up cameras and GoPros and I interviewed, I asked her 10 questions. And one of the questions I asked her, I call her Nanny and I said, Nanny, today's your birthday. You're 92 what age did you feel like you were old and she thought about it and she said 60s she was certain she's like 60s i felt like i was old and and i said well it's been over 30 years since that now what do you think she's like oh i'm old now She goes, but in my 60s i could walk i could dance i had my friends were still alive i was working your grandfather was here and she just, you know, it's like, oh, like she's been old in her mind for th- over 30 years because she even said that, you know, when she was in her sixties, they started acting old and dressing old and doing old people things because I get it, you know, life expectancy of the World War II generation was, you know, 70, but imagine the mindset shift that, have happened if you just thought, you know, like, I still have my physical abilities, I have my friends, I have my husband. And we don't need to sit at that couch and be old anymore. We we can choose to do things. And so I always like to share that with people because it's, everybody thinks they're old. But realize that today, today that you're listening to this today, realize that this is the youngest you're ever going to be. But it's also the oldest you've ever been. And every single day, you can say that same thing. and, And don't ever get mentally old. You know, when you have your physical capability, uh, capabilities and you're, you're, you're mentally still there and you can do things, like, don't don't squander that. Go do those, chase, chase those dreams. Go put in the work.
0: And you said you didn't have an answer about hope. <laughs> 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 I think that's a perfect answer that that's about as hopeful as it gets. I love that. And with that, I I just think that's a perfect place to end. Thank you so much for being a guest today, Tony, on 52 Weeks of Hope.
1: Hey, Lauren, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been good to connect and we look forward to hanging out with you a little bit more and getting to know you better.
0: Yeah, me too. I'll see you on Clubhouse. All right. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you Tony's messages of achievement, commitment, and growth. Such great messages to take into our week ahead and our life. Be sure to tune in next week when Doctor of Oriental Medicine and Ayurvedic practitioner Rachel Redmond joins us. Rachel's on a mission to help every woman learn how to simplify their self care so they can feel 10 times better and live a productive and fulfilling life. Rachel specializes in women's health and knows self-care it doesn't have to be stressful or something extra on your to-do list. Learn her practices next in next week's episode to help you feel better and live a stress-free life right now. I want to congratulate Elizabeth Ruiz, Pamela Gatchela, and Sylvia Estambido, who all won prizes, our prize bags in our contest. She, they won the goodie bags with the journals and crystals and candles and everything for listening. Congratulations to the three of you. If you're on Clubhouse, be sure to say hello. I have a room there every Tuesday. And also the Hope Club is now up. So be sure to say hello if you are on Clubhouse. If you need an invite, let me know. Just go to 52weeksofhope.com and send me me a message. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a positive review and send us any feedback on the website, 52weeksofhope.com. Tell two of your friends to listen. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening.